Hey, this is Randy Robinson, and I'm the pastor of Everyday Church. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope this podcast encourages you, stretches your faith, and helps lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. Let's do it. Our theme for the year is renew, and uh, we've been doing a deep dive into Romans 12, verse 2, where Paul said, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be, re- be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I'm not going to take a lot of time to review that material today, but let me encourage you one more time. If you missed any of those messages the last several weeks, I'd highly encourage you to go back YouTube, the podcast, and catch up. This content is very rich, and it has the potential to drastically, drastically change your life. Uh, so the last few weeks, we've been talking about renewal, and uh, I hope that you've gotten more out of it than I just need to change the way I think. Uh, remember that one of the biblical definitions of the word renew is renovation or a complete change for the better. And so more than just changing the way we think, many of us are having to deconstruct old and destructive, harmful patterns. Because before there can be a renovation, there has to be a demolition. Um, The concept of renewal isn't simply changing the mind, as in, oh, I've been thinking about barbecue for lunch, and now you started talking about Mexican, Mexican food and I'm really craving burritos and chips and salsa. It's not this change of mind per se. Renewal is a call for a complete, again, deconstruction of harmful, often evil thoughts, patterns, habits, and beliefs. The Apostle Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, a very famous verse of Scripture, that the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary... They have divine power to demolish strongholds. He says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Again, look at the language. We demolish. You see the same root word, demo, demolition, demolish. If we're going to renovate our minds, there must first be a demolition. We must first demolish the old ways of thinking. And so Paul says to the Romans, don't conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Remember, conform is the Greek word is schema, which means habitus, which is not a word that we really use. But habitus refers to our way of being. So a habit is something you do. Your habitus is who you are. So if we reverse engineer this, he's telling us that the things that we allow into our minds are actually forming our way of being. And again, we're not just talking about simply changing our mind. We're talking about deep-rooted habits and ungodly beliefs, emotional and mental wounds that go back years and years. Some of us in the room have wounds that go back all the way to our childhood. And those wounds, they've become strongholds. Those repeating, those repeated thought patterns have become our way of being. So it's no longer a simple, uh, it's no longer this simple, oh, I just think negatively about myself in this area or that area. These negative thoughts have become a part of who we are. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how a stronghold uh, was, the stronghold of a city was considered impenetrable. That in times of war, the city officials and political leaders were taken to the stronghold for protection. And so if the enemy destroyed the city, but the stronghold remained intact, then the leaders of the city would simply rebuild the city. 
And this is why a simple change of the mind doesn't work. It's as though the negative ungodly beliefs retreat to the stronghold. And so we go through the city of our minds changing some things, stop doing some things that we shouldn't do. We start doing some things that we should do. But then over time, those negative ungodly beliefs and ungodly scripts, they make their way back into the streets of our minds and they begin to reconstruct because we left the stronghold intact. Because we haven't demolished the stronghold, we go right back to the negative destructive thoughts and patterns. And I know we spent a lot of time talking about this and we've even spent some time talking about how God created our brains to work and how the scientific and the medical fields actually confirmed the very things that Paul was warning us about in the first century. And then a few weeks ago, Miss Dawn helped us bridge the gap with some perspective from the medical side of things and the, and the scientific side of things to the spiritual. Look, outside of Christ, the information that we've been sharing can be beneficial. It can be beneficial to anyone, even those that are outside the faith. The world is full of self-help gurus. That's why I love the, the, the quote from Pastor Craig Groeschel when he says the problem with self-help is that it's only skin deep. Listen, I'm not interested in self-help. I'm after biblically defined renewal, not just becoming better in some areas, but a complete change for the better, a complete renovation. I'm chasing the transformation that Paul talked about. And so while the first few weeks have been about renovating the way that we think about demolishing strongholds and removing ungodly beliefs and scripts and about growing up in the way that we think that's only one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is the moving of the Holy Spirit. This was actually the heart behind the morning of worship and ministry a couple of weeks ago. I wanted to take a moment and slow down. I wanted to take all the information that we'd been learning and lean into the Holy Spirit to make room for him to do whatever he wants to do in our lives. So today, likely for the next few weeks, we're going to revisit the topic of the Holy Spirit. Not like he hasn't already been here. <laughs> We've certainly discussed the Holy Spirit many times over the last four plus years. Being spirit led is one of our stated core values. But we've only done one series on the subject and that was almost three years ago. But it's important because an understanding of the Holy Spirit is fundamental to our Christian faith, especially as a church and people who fall into the continuationist camp. Is anyone familiar with that term, continuationist? A few people. All right, continuationists, they're, they're really, regarding the Holy Spirit and His gifts, there are really two predominant positions. One is continuationism or being a continuationist. The other is cessationism. Or being a cessationist. You can see the word cease in the word cessation. All right, so continuationists believe that the sign gifts of the Spirit continue and have not ceased as the Spirit still works through gifts such as prophecy, words of knowledge, tongues, and healings in various ways. Cessationists believe that the sign gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased when the apostles died. That's a condensed version. All right, Pastor Mark Driscoll says this regarding cessationism. Cessationism sees the abuses of the spiritual gifts and in an effort to prevent error, sometimes overreact by negating the spiritual gift altogether. One of those, we're throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. Cessationists often point to such things as spiritual excesses, unfulfilled prophecies, abuses of spiritual authority, and preference for new revelation over Scripture. Listen. Everyday church will never elevate the word, doctrine, or preference of a man above the word of God. Amen. We believe that the Bible is God's word. 
So if someone ever speaks a word that's contrary to Scripture, we are to dismiss that immediately. Mark Driscoll goes on. But the abuse of a gift should not negate the use of a gift. And we're going to address the gifts of the Spirit in a later message. But I wanted to briefly say we have to offer grace to people. God's word is infallible, but we are not. God's word is perfect, but we are not. I mean, it seems to me that there are certainly a plethora of false prophets to choose from in today's culture. But we also need to understand that people make mistakes, especially within our own local body of believers. Because my ministry tenure has mostly been in Pentecostal churches, I've seen people share what they thought was a word from the Lord or a prophecy, but it actually wasn't. I've seen people make mistakes. And as people grow in their faith and in their knowledge of how the Holy Spirit works and speaks, then the mistakes become less frequent. Now, let me give you an example, and, I'm not, I'm, and then I'm going to move on from this. You can read about this in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, where Paul addresses spiritual gifts, not only individually, but also corporately, and what it should look like in a church setting. But someone might deliver a message to the church body in tongues. Some of you that are not familiar with that, or you're like, oh, okay, here we go. Like the Pentecostals are like Pavlov's dogs. Let's go. Here we go. Talk about tongues. And the non-Pentecostals, you know, looking around for snakes and thinking about a long bathroom break. Okay. Sometimes the jokes just aren't good, you know? <laughs> you know what they say. If you paid more money, the jokes would be better. So was that, was that one worse? <laughs> I'm kidding. Anyway, all right. Hang on a second. We'll get us all together on the same page. Um, Scripturally speaking, a message in tongues given to a body should be followed by an interpretation. So what happens if someone delivers a message in tongues and there's no interpretation? First, there's no question that there's confusion. If you know the word, you're like, well, what just happened? Somebody's speaking in tongues loudly and there was no interpretation. You're like, I don't know what just happened. But we have to understand that we're just people and people will make mistakes. So either the person who gave the message in tongues should not have spoken or someone in the, in the congregation or in the room had an interpretation and didn't deliver the interpretation. Either way, a mistake was made, and we have to offer grace in those circumstances so people can learn how to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Because the abuse or the misuse of a gift shouldn't negate the use of a gift. Look. It's uncomfortable for me to say, hey, what's God saying to you? And then everybody's like, pop, pop, pop. This looks like whack-a-mole. You know what I mean? There's people popping up and they're saying all this stuff. And that's why a second ago, I was like, this would be an appropriate time if you're part of our church or whatever. Because the Bible says to know those who labor among you. So I'm not saying we would totally dismiss someone that just came in and say, hey, I have a message from the Lord. But primarily, we want to create a culture that the people who are speaking into our church are people that are part of our church. Does that make sense? Yeah. You guys should appreciate that. But if you don't, if you get in a room with some wacky person that comes in and says something, you will appreciate it later. But even then, could there have been mistakes? I feel the Lord is saying this. First of all, it takes a lot of courage and faith to step out and say, this is what I'm feeling the Lord is saying. If you've never done that, it's, it's crazy. Like inside, you're just, you're feeling turmoil. I'm feeling turmoil. I don't know what you're going to say. Like, you know, we're all just hanging. But we have to offer grace. And as we learn to flow and listen to his voice, we give place for people to make a mistake. 
And just because someone said the Lord says yada, 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 and then it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean they're a false prophet. It could mean they're a false prophet if it happens repeatedly. Oh, I'm a prophet. And they're saying all this crazy stuff that never happens. Like, okay, bro, that's enough. You're not here from God. We all know that. But there could be a moment where we're just giving grace to somebody where we pull them aside and say, you know, we, I don't know that that was the Lord. And we coach them and encourage them on how to hear the voice of the Lord. Now, look, my prayer is that over the next few weeks that we all have a deeper encounter with God through the person of the Holy Spirit. And I think he started us off very well this morning. The rest of the message is going to be kind of a flyover. And I, I, you know, I just want to introduce this topic to us and get us all moving and thinking in the same direction. I've found, I've found that over the last four years, every time I start to speak on a foundational principle of Christianity, it's actually more complicated than I thought. I can't tell you how many times I started preparing for a topic. I sat down to type my notes and I realized, well, this is foundational, but it's really not simple. And it's hard to, sometimes hard to describe. And so I want to try to just give us a basic foundation as we move forward. For those that have been Christ followers for an extended period of time, I think it would do us all good to go back and read the Bible and think through the eyes of someone who's never read it before. Challenge yourself. Why do you believe what you believe? Can we even defend our belief system with Scripture? And maybe you don't come from a church background at all. And the topic of the Holy Spirit seems scary. Maybe you're from a church background that doesn't talk about or might even discourage talking about the Holy Spirit and the gifts that he gives to the church. You maybe you're in the room and you're from a charismatic Pentecostal. Shake your hair down. Let's get to it. Background. And you're ready. You're ready to go. My hope is that no matter what background you come from, that we're all challenged. That we not only take a closer look at what we believe, but also why we believe it. And then we take those belief systems and we pull them up by the roots and we expose them to the light and the truth of God's word so that we can know for sure that what we believe is fully grounded in God's word and not on the traditions of men. Now, look, my, my positions differ from some of the people in the room. I know that. I get that. But it's not a divisional moment where you're like, I'm out. Peace, I'm, peace out. I'm gone. In the last time we did a series on this, there were people who didn't agree with everything that I said. And there, we may have that again through this series. I, I try to find myself in the middle. I don't want to swing so far over here that we're swinging from the, the ceiling fans and going, woohoo, God's in the room. I'm not interested in that. But I don't want to swing so far over here that we're dead and dry and never have an opportunity for God to move and speak to people. I want to be in the middle, not just in the middle, but I want to be grounded in what God's word says. And that, cost, that, that causes us, even if you've been grazed in the tradition of Pentecost, to reevaluate some things. Let me, read, uh, let me read you a quote from a famous first century prophet. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. And thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And you do many things like that. These are, of course, the words of Jesus himself from the New Testament book of Mark, chapter 7. But I wonder how many of us and how many times we have made the Holy Spirit irrelevant in our lives and in our churches because we continue to hand down fruitless traditions of men instead of studying for ourselves what the scripture says about the person of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the biblical definition of renew is to renovate or it's a complete change for the better. Some of us need to renovate the way that we think about the Holy Spirit. We've become so accustomed to the traditions of men that we've lost sight of the Holy Spirit altogether. 
See, I believe that God not only wants to renew our minds, but he wants to renew us spiritually as well. And there needs to be a marriage between the last several weeks of material and the Holy Spirit. When we start digging and trying to identify ungodly beliefs and destructive scripts that are replaying and playing in our minds, and we start to excavate the deep wounds and hurts of our past, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to reveal things that are hidden. We need the Holy Spirit to bring comfort as we navigate those difficult situations. One of the traditions of men, so to speak, that I face as a preacher is the altar time. And I know the altar generated from Scripture. I'm not saying that that's the altar is not of God. But as long as I can remember, everything in the church service was built to compel people to the altar. In other words, if I could just get them to the front, then God will do what he's going to do. And God does move in that situation. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I love altar experiences. I've seen God move mightily in the altar. I've seen people give their heart to Christ and radically be changed at the altar. I've seen people healed physically, mentally, and emotionally in the altar. One time in Kentucky, I was leading worship, and a man in his mid to upper 60s was miraculously healed in the altar. He was unable to hear without his hearing aids. And when he left the service, he got into his car, and his hearing was very muffled, and he later realized that the hearing aids were actually muffling the sound because his ears had been completely restored. And when he took out his hearing aids, he said that the dings and the clicks and the bells from his car nearly drove him crazy at first because he hadn't heard that clearly in such a long time. I tell that story for two reasons. One, I've seen too much with my own eyes to fall into the cessationist camp. And two, I'm convinced, well, and I'm, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit still moves and speaks and heals today. And number two, I believe in the altar. God still does miracles at the altar. But here's where I think we're missing it. Pentecostal charismatic services have too often viewed the altar as the end goal. Well, if I could just get them to the altar. And maybe we're saying, no, I don't see it that way. Listen, I've been in vocational ministry for almost 25 years. I've been in the meetings, the staff meetings, the conferences, and the classes on how to get people to come to the altar. But the altar, while important, isn't the end goal. It's only the beginning. I've seen hundreds, if not thousands of people over the last 25 years come to the altar. And God does something significant in their lives. But when they leave, they don't have the information that they need to succeed in their daily life. God knows I've been there. I've received deep touches from the Lord and I was able to ride that spiritual high for a little while. But because the stronghold hadn't been addressed, let alone demolished, I'd go right back to my old way of doing things. I'm saying that we need a marriage between these two topics, that they're two sides of the same coin. God wants to meet us in a significant way through the power of the Holy Spirit. And sometimes that does happen at an altar. And he also wants us to learn how to demolish the strongholds in our lives so that we can be free. I haven't even gotten really to the material on the Holy Spirit yet, but we're getting there. So I'm going to condense this. Um, and then we'll revisit some of this in a deeper, deeper fashion in the next few weeks. <clears throat> Another one of the traditions of men that we fight, and this is, uh, isn't necessarily in the church, although part of the church, you would fight it in a cessationist type uh, camp, is we fight against, um, oh, this Holy Spirit stuff is crazy. Anybody ever thought that before? Nobody. Okay. <laughs> Anybody heard anybody that said this Holy Spirit stuff's crazy? In his book, The God I Never Knew, which I highly recommend by Pastor Robert Morris, he says this. If you're like most people, you've probably been misinformed about the Holy Spirit to some degree. 
After more than 25 years of ministry experience, I've seen firsthand that most Christians hold a distorted, inaccurate, or incomplete view of the third member of the Trinity. In fact, many frustrated believers are utterly unaware that a loving and amazing person desires to know them and to fill their empty lives with good things. See, in some ways, the modern church has unintentionally created a negative stigma regarding the Holy Spirit. As we referenced earlier, the misuse and the abuse of the gifts of the Spirit have created... um, They've created a distaste for the things of God. But David tells us in the Psalms to taste and see that the Lord is good. The Holy Spirit is God. He makes up one third of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Taste for yourself and see that the Holy Spirit is good and He wants good things for your life. We don't have to be afraid that that the Holy Spirit is going to present all kinds of craziness and chaos in our lives. That's the opposite of who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit brings brings order, order from the chaos. You can read for yourself how Jesus describes the Holy Spirit in John chapter uh, 14 through 16. And again, we're going to read some of these verses next week. For now, let me give you some of the words that Jesus uses to describe the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper, our counselor, our advocate, our attorney, our intercessor, our teacher. He's our peace. He's our truth, our guide, our friend, our confidant. There's nothing to be afraid of when someone begins to talk about the Holy Spirit. And there's no reason to not want an intimate relationship with him. And maybe that sounds weird to you to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Part of the reason that it sounds weird is because we've unintentionally taught, either from the pulpit or just with our language, that the Holy Spirit is an it or a thing, a thing to be had and not a person or part of the Trinity. He's been treated as something to possess instead of someone to have a relationship with. And that's totally contrary to Scripture. And maybe that sounds weird to you, right? You've never considered the fact that the Holy Spirit is God. First of all, again, He's one-third of the Trinity. And I know that's complicated to think about. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three separate entities, yet they're one and the same, and they all make up God. I mean, we're reading John 14, 16 to 17. He says, Jesus is talking. He says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate. Remember, that's one of the words I read earlier. To help you, He's our helper, to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Who's talking? Who's talking in that verse of Scripture? Jesus. Who's he talking to? The Father. What's he asking the Father to do? Send the Holy Spirit. I mean, you can see the Trinity all through Scripture if you look for it. To say the Holy Spirit is a person is a difficult concept as well. We think of a person with flesh and bones. But in this instance, we're we're talking about a spiritual entity that has emotions and feelings. Maybe a better way to put it would be personhood or he has personality. We know scripture says that God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so when someone comes along and says, Holy Spirit's a person, we're talking about personhood. That's what we're talking about. You can have a relationship with them. You don't have a relationship with things. We describe the Trinity. We say God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy Spirit. That's their roles, right? God serves as the 
the Father, that's His role. The Son, that was His role. The Holy Spirit, that's the role. But all three are God. All three we can have a relationship with. Uh, with. It's easy for us to have a mental concept of Father and Son because we see that with our natural eyes. And when someone says you can have a, a relationship with the Holy Spirit, that feels like kind of weird and kind of off. But understanding that Father, Son, Holy Spirit really is a descriptor of the roles that they perform. The Holy Spirit desperately wants to have a relationship with us, to come alongside of us, to help us, to give us comfort and strength. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are amazing. We've experienced some of that today. I love this quote, again, from Pastor Robert Morris's book. He says this, Missing out on the gifts of the Spirit is unfortunate. However, missing out on His friendship is tragic. I don't want to miss out on relationship with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to miss out on his friendship and what's available to us through that relationship. Does anyone have a friendship that you consider a gift? See, the Holy Spirit is a gift to us as believers. You might have one of those friends that when you haven't seen them for a while, you haven't been with them, but you get together months or years later and it's like no time has passed. You're just older, grayer, and fatter. But you pick up right where you left off. That's how, that's how the Holy Spirit is. He's a gift. He's a gift to us. My friend Jay Schwab is a gift. He's a, he's a close friend of mine. We, we went out to lunch a couple weeks ago, and I said, you know, we've been doing this for 28 years. When I was a 17-year-old kid, he was my youth pastor, and I'd go over there and knock on his door and beg him to go to Taco Bell and hang out with me. And, he would argue with me so long, and finally he would always give in. We'd go. Mainly I wanted him to because he would always buy, and I didn't have any money. <laughs> Come on, man, take me to Taco Bell. That's when he could buy everything. There was one time when I, we used to go to Taco Bell all the time when I was a teenager. Anybody else do that? Anybody else still go to Taco Bell? It's, I'm mad at Taco Bell. They're too expensive right now. Three tacos, $9. No, thank you. It's $3 a taco. What are you talking about? Anyway, but there was a time when their menu was much more simple. When I was in high school, we counted it up. You could buy everything on the Taco Bell menu. I forget what the number was, but it was like $12. Like you could go in and go, give me one of everything. And it'd be $13.44. You're like, okay, got it. You know, you're getting old. You start talking about how things used to. I remember when gas was 79 cents. Anybody else remember that? One of those friends, man, that's what the Holy Spirit is. He's a gift, a friendship that's a gift to us. But the Holy Spirit is so much better than any friend that you and I have ever had. Adrian, you can come and play. I truly believe that part of the missing link to our freedom and victorious living is the lack of the marriage between renewing our minds and a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I think in so many Spirit-filled, charismatic Pentecostal circles, we focus so much on the Spirit that we neglect the mental aspect. We neglect this, this thing where I have to do something too. We come to the altar and we receive, again, a deep touch from the Lord, expecting that when I leave, you know, whatever you came up for, oh, I'm struggling with X, Y, or Z. I'm struggling with drugs. We talked about that earlier. 
and you pray and God does something in your life and you go out and you're good for a week and then you're like, yeah, I really would like to have that. Maybe it's eating. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's whatever. Fill in the blank of, of whatever stronghold that you might have in your life. Maybe it's control, like Miss Carol was talking about earlier. Maybe it's bitterness, angerness, whatever. And you have this deep encounter with the Lord. And God does something significant and supernatural, and I never would want to negate what He does in those moments. But if we don't couple that with the information that we've been talking about, listen, I've got work to do. I've got to walk this thing out. Look, I'm not saying God's not able to instantaneously deliver us because I believe in deliverance. And I've seen people go from hardcore drug addicted to boom, never again, just from one moment in the altar. And I don't want to negate that at all. And I don't want to act like that doesn't happen. My experience, unfortunately, is most of the time we got to walk it out. We got to find accountability in our lives and we got to put some things in place to, to rewire, to make, to make us think differently. Remember the ruts we talked about a few weeks ago. We've had years and years of ungodly beliefs and scripts that become ruts physically in our brain. We have to recreate how our brain works so that when those things happen, we couple that with the power of the Holy Spirit. And before we know it, we're walking a victorious and a free life. I truly believe that that's one of the missing links. Renewing your mind without the power of the Holy Spirit is merely self-help. And pursuing the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit with that relationship with Him will leave you unfulfilled. We need an altar-type experience, for lack of a better word. A moment where the Holy Spirit wrecks us. But that's just the beginning. And then we need the Holy Spirit to help us walk it out as we renew our minds and renovate our way of thinking and our way of being. Amen. Let's pray. On behalf of Pastor Randy and the entire staff at Everyday Church, we'd like to thank you for joining us today. For more information on the church, please visit us at everydaychurch.xyz.